church, y'all awake? Yes. yes. Oh, I love it. Man, Matt was right. Uh, first service was like dead. I mean, it was like, I'm like, y'all get some more coffee, something. Uh, I know because we're at the point of the year where, or the summer, it's kind of like summer blues. I don't know if you're feeling this, like our family is, where it's like, man, it's like flown by. And it's like hard to believe that like in a month, school will be starting. For some of you, you're like, yes, I'm tired of my kids. Get them, get them back in school. For us, I'm like, man, I don't want to like do the hustle and bustle, like getting ready for school, getting them out the door and homework and all that stuff. But um, I'm glad you guys are here. It's great to be back. Sloan and our boys um, went and vacationed with our family this past week, and it was a great, great week. Um, and you notice my beautiful tan, right? We, we say, if you can't tone it, tan it. So, um, so you'll get that later. But anyway, uh, man, it's always good going to the beach and having some fun. I feel like I'm 400 pounds, uh, but it is good to be back. I know Mason last week did a phenomenal job continuing our Exodus series and walking us through um, really the first part of the plagues. If you've been with us, we're in this series called Into the Wilderness, and we're walking through and studying this incredible story of God delivering his people, really redeeming them, rescuing from this evil Pharaoh. And um, and so we've been in this, uh, I don't know, I think this is week seven, and we've been walking through this. And so last week, uh, Mason, really started down and hit the first half of the plagues. Um, And so this morning we're sitting, um, we're going to set up and kind of sit in the second half of the plagues. And I'm just throwing this out there um, because it's really, really hard for us uh, to walk through every single plague and kind of break it apart and get get into the nitty gritty of it. And so what I want to do this morning is kind of approach the entire plagues and really the second half and kind of look at this turning point, but approach it from uh, like a bird's eye view, kind of a bigger, broader picture um, of what God is doing in the plagues, because it's crazy. If you really think about what God is doing, how he's getting the attention of Pharaoh and uh, what he's doing and how he's going to rescue the Israelites, um, it's a lot. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 9. Uh, that's where we're going to kind of plant this morning in Exodus chapter 9. If you are curious about every single play, go in, read it. There's so much material that you can see um, on it and kind of dive in and kind of see what God is uh, doing in this. And like I said, you can go back and listen to Mason's um, message from last week. And all about you, just on a side note, I'm so thankful that we are a church that invests into young guys like Mason and Brandon, our student coordinator, um, because it is so awesome to come alongside these guys who are called into ministry to um, help them uh, learn, to be equipped, to, uh, to walk through this calling that God has put in their life. We have interns. We started this residency program. And it's just cool. I just love that our church is doing that. And I just remember when I started into student ministry, I forget how old I was, like early 20s. And trust me, I have some stories of just being an idiot, right? And I wish that there were some people that kind of came along me and ministry and helped me do those things. So um, next time you see Mason, I think he's at Malden, at the Malden campus this morning. Um, But man, I'm so thankful for those guys to be a part of a church. Um, But as we dig into Exodus and we see all this crazy, chaotic plagues, what God is doing to get the attention, as I was studying this, it kind of made me think about this because there are a lot of times in life, I don't know if you felt like this, where something is happening and it's kind of hard to explain. 
that there are things that God does in our life that we just, it doesn't make sense. Have you ever had those things happen in your life? And a lot of the times we use this phrase. I know I've heard this. I've even used it ever since I became a Christian. We've, we kind of hear this phrase that God works in mysterious ways. Have you ever heard that? Uh, you probably have used it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with using it. It's not a Bible verse or it's not in like hesitations, chapter five, you know, but it's something that we, we tend to use trying to explain God working in something that it's hard to explain. For instance, I've heard people use, I've heard stories like this, like, uh, oh man, I was like in some financial trouble, had this bill that was coming due. I didn't know where I was going to get the money. And all of a sudden I got this random check or I found $100 in a coat pocket to pay the bill. God works in mysterious ways. Or I've heard a story of, hey, I was traveling uh, on vacation and I was like, one of my kids said, hey, I need to use the restroom. We made an unexpected stop, used the restroom. Just a couple minutes later on the same road, on the same way we were going, a tragic accident happened and God spared our lives. God works in mysterious ways. You probably have used that. I've heard that at some point. Now, usually when we use that statement, it is to explain something good, like a blessing that God has protected us from, has, that we've benefited from. It's a good thing. We don't use that statement when we are going through a difficult circumstance or a hard, bad situation. I've never heard somebody get in a wreck, everybody's safe, and they total the car, and they got to call insurance and go through that nightmare. They're like, God works in mysterious ways, you know? Or, you know, your kid's playing sports and they, they break their arm and you're at the hospital and, and, you know, you love the emergency room because everybody loves the emergency room, right? And, um, and you go there and the nurse is like, hey, what's happening? God works in mysterious ways. You don't use it that way. And if, and if we're not careful, if you really think about it, at the end of the day, our thinking on this, I'm not saying if you use it, you're wrong. I'm not saying that. But we have to be very careful because we contend to say in the good times that we trust God's sovereignty and his grace and we trust him. But when we are going through difficult circumstances and hard times and bad things, it's hard for us to trust his sovereignty then. It's easy for us to say, I trust God with the good, but when the bad's um, happening in our life, you know what we tend to do? Instead of trusting God, we tend to trust ourselves. We tend to trust ourselves in digging us out of a hole or in a situation where our sin has brought us to that point. We try to cover it up to kind of dig us ourselves out of that. And here's the reality this morning, because when we're going through good and bad, it, it tells us a lot about our faith. And here's what it tells us about God, that God reveals who he is through both the joyful events and painful experiences. God shows up and is teaching us and reveals more about his nature and character in good times and in difficult times. We see the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so when we come to the plagues, it's hard for our thoughts, our minuscule, finite human minds to grasp exactly what God is doing, why he is doing it, because it is crazy. 
that in the midst of all of this chaos that God is instilling in the land of Egypt and on Pharaoh's life, it's hard for us to say, what is God doing in this? You and I going through a hard time, it's hard for us to understand what is God doing with this moment, this season, this situation, this circumstance. And so what we've seen is really this back and forth between God and uh, Pharaoh, where Moses has come as a mediator. Moses and Aaron have said, hey, God's told us this. And he's like, no, I'm not doing it. And so they show up again. God is saying this. And Moses is like, no, or um, Pharaoh's like, no, I'm the king. This is the land that I reign in. This is how it's going to be. And so we start to see things. I mean, this is like crazy apocalyptic type stuff. As Mason talked about last week, we see the Nile turn into blood. We see Egypt is invaded by frogs. We see uh, swarms of gnats or bugs. We see um, wild animals. We see pests. We see disease of livestock. In chapter 9, it turns, we start to see boils on Egyptian skin. We see hail and fire. We see locusts. We see darkness. Then we eventually see death. And through all of this, we kind of come to the question like, God, what are you doing? And really, if you think about it, God's patience with Pharaoh and the Egyptians is really on display. Because God could have said, you're disobeying. You're not doing what I said. You're done. (laughs) But through this, he's giving Pharaoh a chance to repent from his disobedience, to come back and to realize who he is. And oftentimes we are the same way, that when we are going through hard times, God wants us to see who he is. But instead of that, the question that we often ask is, what are you doing? We want to know the details, don't we? Why are you letting this happen? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? All of these different things instead of who is God in this? And let me kind of see who he is. And so I wrote this down. I think, I think this would, would be huge just in our walk with God. I'm speaking and preaching to myself too, that when we are at a crossroads of a difficult situation in our life, instead of asking for the details and saying, God, what are you doing? Here's a better question for you and I to ask. It would be this kind of twofold. Who is the Lord and what can I learn about him and my faith? So when you are going through that situation, who is the Lord? That's a great question. Not, I need to know the details, God. What are you doing? Why did you do it? All these things. It's who is the Lord? Who are you learning in the midst of that circumstance? Who is the Lord? We'll see in just a second. The purpose of the plagues is to really show Pharaoh and the Israelites, this is who God is. This is some characteristic in nature of God. And when we are approaching situations like, who is God? What can I learn about him in this? We also are learning about our faith. Are we weak? Where do we have doubts? Where are there holes in our trust of God? Man, there's something about a very testing situation in our life that we quickly learn, are we close to God or are we not? And oftentimes, like I said, we run to ourselves instead of God and God wants us to see and for every difficult circumstance to be a stepping stone to further further intimacy with God, further trust with God and further growth in our faith. And so we get to this point in scripture where it has been this back and forth with all of these things. And if you remember in Exodus chapter five, verse two, 
When Moses shows up for the very first time and tells Pharaoh, hey, our God has met with us and this is what you're going to do. Pharaoh's response is, who is the Lord and why should I obey his voice? You remember that a few weeks back? Who is the Lord? Why should I obey his voice? You got to remember in Egyptian times, in their religion, in their faith, man, they believed in hundreds of gods. They had a God for everything. And so Moses, when he comes to Pharaoh and says, hey, our God is talking to us, he's like, Pharaoh's saying, well, who is this God? And the plagues begin to unfold God's answer to that question. And so in his mercy, God is flexing his might, addressing and really attacking the uh, prominent gods of Egypt, like the sun God and the happiness God and the God of the Nile and futility and all those different things. God is saying, those aren't really gods. Those are just made up things that you worship and idolize. I am the God. And so we saw last week and our points that through all this, God's going to accomplish his purpose. He's going to prove his supremacy and he's going to show his provision that he is the provider. And all of those things, God is showing that he is sovereign, that the plagues, the people, Pharaoh, their Egyptian gods, they're not in control. God is in control. And so this back and forth goes on. And in chapter nine, starting in verse 27, we come to a point that it seems, at least from the front cover, to be a breaking point for Pharaoh. But I want you to see what happens because this happens to us a lot of the times and, and we can be like, well, Pharaoh's really evil. We can do this. So let's read chapter nine, verse 27. So this is the point. Boils have happened. There's um, the livestock have died. There's hail and thunder um, and fire that's raining on the land. And it says this in verse 27 of chapter 9. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron, and he said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Now, at face value, it's like, finally, what does God have to do to get Pharaoh's attention? And finally, we kind of get to this point where it seems like Pharaoh is saying, okay, 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 uncle, I'm wrong. My people are wrong. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against God. And, and, and there's something wrong here. I'm confessing that I have sinned in this. And so he says to Moses, plead with the Lord, like go on my behalf for there has been been enough of God's thunder and hell. I'll let you go and you shall stay no longer. So once again, it's like, finally, he's confessing. He's saying, okay, I'm gonna obey God. I'll let the people go just as you've said. Well, let, let them just stop all of this. So verse 29, Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. So once again, pointing back, who is the Lord? He is creator. He is sustainer. So Moses is saying, I'm going to come out here. I'm going to stretch out my hands. I'm going to um, go to the Lord. He's going to stop all this stuff. So you can know he, he's, the, he's the main idea. He is the main character. He is who he says he is. He's unlike any of these little gods that you are worshiping. And he says, but as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. You don't have this intimacy. You don't really trust him. 
Now, verse 31 kind of gives us a period of time as to when this happened in the Egyptian um, ancient calendar. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, um, uh, for they are late and coming up. Verse 33, Moses went out from the city, from Pharaoh, stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and the thunder had ceased, Scripture says he sinned yet again, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Let's go into chapter 10, a couple verses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, so go back to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. There's going to be some more signs, some more plagues. Why? That you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. So once again, pointing back and answering this question, who is the Lord? And so a couple things, just from a big picture standpoint that I want to pull out from Scripture. Why, why is God doing this? Why does God bring such uh, harmful things, painful things? Why does he allow us to get uncomfortable with where we're at? The uh, first point this morning is to dislodge his people. Now, you and I are creatures of habit. I don't know about you. When I go to different restaurants, I, feel, I like order the same thing everywhere, right? It's like I go to this restaurant, I always get the same thing. I don't want to change it up. Like, I, I don't know if you're like that. But, you know, it's like our routines in the morning. You wake up. You um, wash your face, maybe. You brush your teeth. You put on deodorant, unless you're a middle school boy. You forget that, all right? And so you get dressed, you go to school or you go to work, you see people, you know, you have your routine, you pack your lunch, you have your lunch buddies, whatever. We, we are robotic in some manner that we love routine. It's easy for us to become complacent in that routine. And unfortunately, what happens is that becomes, we become complacent in our relationship with God. We say, hey, I'm good. You know what? I, I, everything's going good. Hey, I'm complacent. We don't really... Uh, push ourselves, And what ends up happening is this is exactly what Pharaoh is doing. He's treating himself like God. I'm complacent. I don't need God. Who is this God? And God is using these plagues to dislodge Pharaoh from his throne to show, okay, big boy, you think you're God? Let me show you who's really God. Let me show you what I mean by this. So he's bringing down consequences and judgment through the plagues for Pharaoh to see I'm no God at all. And it's a harmful, hard process where Pharaoh's heart is so hard, he, he's, not, he's not getting it. And some of us are like that. Some of us, man, one thing happens, you're like, God, you got my attention some of us are like, well, that's his circumstance. I don't really understand that. That wasn't really God. And God's speaking and speaking and speaking. And God forbid we ever get to a place where you and I say, you know what? <clears throat> My heart is hard to hear the voice of God. 
Because what ends up happening is exactly what Pharaoh did is we make ourselves God. I have control. I know what's best. I'll make the decisions. I don't need your help, God. That's good culturally here in the Bible Belt of the South. Okay, I'll go to church. That's what you're supposed to do, whatever. But I'll make, I'll, I'll make the decisions of what's best for me. Then that carries over. I'll define sin. I'll define if I need church or not. I'll define when I read your Bible. I'll define if it's obedience or not to tithe. I'll, I'll um, decide if it's okay to serve or not. It seems like they have, a lot, they have it covered. I don't need to do that. All of these things because we make ourselves God in that complacency. And what's ending up on the other side is that the Israelites are complacent right where they're at as well. They're like, this is our life. It stinks. Our work is hard. We're enslaved to Pharaoh. There is no hope. We've been doing this. Think about it. Put yourself in their shoes. It's been like 400 something years. There, there is no hope. And so they're complacent with their way of life and God is trying to dislodge them and to shake them and interrupt and to say, you're not God. Do not become complacent. Now I wrote this down. When, when we become complacent with God, we usually make ourselves God. We, we put ourselves on that throne and say, there's no need for him. And so we begin to just become, we are complacent. And we say, you know what? I, I'm good with where I'm at. Now, practically speaking, complacency is never good ever, 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 especially not in your relationship with God. But let's, let's kind of back off our relationship for, with God for a little bit. You know, could you imagine if we were in this room and we're like, man, I'm really complacent. I'm, I'm a good enough dad. I have some flaws, but I'm good enough. I'm a good enough husband. You know, I'm good, especially compared to that guy. I'm a good enough spouse. I'm a good enough worker. I don't have to work that hard. I don't want to be, a, I don't want to be an overachiever, you know. No, man, we should, as dads, there's always room for improvement. As a husband, there's room for improvement. There's always something that we should never get to the point where we're like, I'm good. And it is so true in our relationship with God. When we become complacent and we're not growing, we're just sitting almost apathetic to our intimacy with God, that is a very dangerous, dangerous place to be. And so God oftentimes uses really difficult situations to shake you, to shake me, to wake us up, to say, wake up, get it, get it together, brother. I want your attention. And he's trying to grab our attention because our attention is on something else other than God. And so he's saying, wake up. I want your attention. I want your worship. And he's doing that to Pharaoh. He's doing that to the Israelites to, to dislodge the people to say, I want your eyes on me. It's not going to be easy. It is hard. It is painful. It is um, very difficult to walk through this circumstance. But I want you to see me through this. Who am I? I'm trying to teach you about me in that difficulty. And God is showing his power, his beauty, even his patience is on display through that. And then when we get to verse one and two, this is such an awesome um, idea. I never thought about it this way until I was studying. Is that when God tells Moses once again, hey, go up there. You see this kind of faux repentance of Pharaoh. Okay, I've sinned. And then God stops everything and it says he sins again. It's almost as if Pharaoh is trying to manipulate God. And now that you, I'll be the first to confess. There have been times in my life that I've tried to do that. God, if you do this, I'll do this. Have you ever been there? 
hey, God, just get me through this, and I'll read my Bible every single day, I promise. <laughs> you know? If you just let me get this job, I promise. It's a promotion. I'll begin to tithe. I'll tithe 12%, <laughs> you know? Whatever. We start to negotiate, and it's almost as if Pharaoh thinking he's a God is manipulating and negotiating that way with, with God is that God stops the thunder. He's like, ha, huh, got you, God. Thanks for the relief. But I'm still not letting the people go. And so God tells Moses, go back up there and I'm gonna do some more plagues, some more difficult things. But listen to what God says. I love this. Why? So that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your gr grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. Why? That you may know that I am the Lord. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about it this way. It's easy for us, and it is true, that the plagues are definitely a sign and uh, a judgment from God to Pharaoh and the e Egyptians. But it's also a moment to benefit the Israelites for them to have confidence and restored hope that God is who he says he is. And while this moment and this difficult circumstances, while it benefits not only the Israelites, what God is saying is I am doing these things so that you see my faithfulness, you see my goodness, you see my grace, my mercy, so that your son can see it. And you can tell him, you can tell your grandson. And think about this. Do you realize that whatever difficult situations you've been through or currently going through or going to go through, that you are going, God is having you go through that difficult circumstance, not only for your benefit, but for your sons, your daughters, your grandkids. It's hard for us to grasp that in the midst of it, but there is something that God wants you to see about himself and about your faith that you will be able, now I don't know how long from now, you'll be able to tell your kids, man, God was so faithful during that time. He was so good. And then tell your grandkids and your great-grandkids. And when you're old and you're sitting by the fireplace, they're like, we've heard that story before, <laughs> you know? That you're able to say, God is good. Now, I, I use this just because it's, it's personal to me. And a lot of y'all know my story. My parents got divorced uh, when I was a junior in high school. Man, it just rocked my world. And I was kind of mad at God for a period of time. Thinking, man, I felt like it was one of those things where I felt like everything was going good. I was growing my faith. I was um, working in the student ministry on the leadership team. I was doing all this stuff, man, leading FCA, all this. And then my parents get divorced and everything just crumbles. And I'm thinking, why, God? Why did you do this? And it wasn't until years later that, I, that at least one of the benefits, one, it, through that divorce, it made me a better dad and a better husband. It made me, when I did student ministry for all those years, to be able to, you know, counsel People, um, students who have been through divorce, it helps me now, helps me strengthen our marriage. And so there are things that you are going through right now or who, uh, you have been through that will not only benefit you, but for people generations to come. And how awesome it is to remind your kids and your kids' kids and your friends, your coworkers, this situation was horrible, but God used it to do amazing things in my life, and he showed me that he's good and that he is powerful. 
And so you have all of these things that are just lining up for God to dislodge his people. The second point, the final point this morning is that God often brings these hardships and makes us uncomfortable. He definitely does it here to discredit the alternative. And here's what I mean by that. At the time, Pharaoh was a deity in Egyptian culture. He thought he was a God. Everybody worshiped him as a God. In addition to all the other gods that the Egyptians swore by, that you even see early on, they tr um, Pharaoh trusted the magicians by his side to do some of this, you know, um, Wizard of Oz behind the curtain trickery, you know. And God is saying, that's nothing. I'm the true God in this. So he gets to a point after all this is said and done. Look at verse 3 of chapter 10. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord. Now, usually we see this cycle. God is saying, I'm about to do this. But it changes here. And God says, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Man, what a sobering question. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me. You and I, just like the Egyptians, man, we put a lot of things before God. Oftentimes it's selfish ambitions and desires and our own motives and our own behaviors. <clears throat> just like Pharaoh and God shows up and says, hey, there's no credibility in any of those things. Those things, you're trying to put yourself up on a throne, you're trying to worship all these different gods, you're trying to worship your, your royalty, your riches and your wealth. There's only one true God. There's only one that can satisfy. There's only one that can really bring hope and satisfaction in that. And so God is discrediting all of those things, discrediting the alternative and bringing humility upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Now think about this. Every single, you can go back and study it, every single plague God is addressing and attacking and exposing the Egyptian God. But then it hits kind of home because, you know, as I said, Pharaoh had these magicians that kind of through their trickery could kind of mimic what God was doing until the boils, the plague of the boils came. The magicians get the boils and they can't bring healing upon themselves. And, and, and I love this. Also in chapter nine, you see God tells Moses to go to one of the kilns that, um, that the bricks were being made and baked in. Now, if you remember the very beginning, the Egyptians were enslaved. Their duty was to make these, uh, these bricks. And it was just a hard, hard labor. They had production, all this stuff. And I think it's so ironic and by God's providence that God directs Moses to go to one of those kilns to get the ashes out of the kiln, to throw it up in the air. And all of a sudden it's airborne disease that then affects and afflicts all the Egyptians becomes boils. It's kind of like the way I envision it, if you're a big basketball fan, uh, is LeBron James before a game where he takes his little chalk and he blows it up in the air, you know? It's like Moses does that and God inflicts and it shows that God is serious about sin, but he shows that he is the true, powerful God. He is creator and sustainer. And through our sin and through the consequences and through these difficult times, that you and I, I love this. And what we see, and we've said this, uh, I believe since week three, that the Lord delivers his people. 
So no matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstance it is, as it draws you, hopefully draws you closer to God, He is wanting it to increase your faith and trust and intimacy that He is delivering you from that. He's delivering the Israelites in this. We'll see this in the next couple of weeks as we conclude how God delivers his people. You know the story. He eventually lets them go, protects them into the wilderness. And so then in this, God wants us to see. He wants to deliver us. And just as we opened up with God working in mysterious ways, he certainly does because one of the greatest mysteries, it's hard for us to wrap our brains around, but I'm so thankful this is how God works. God incarnate came to this earth, born of a virgin named Jesus, to come and redeem us, to deliver us, you and me, from our sin so that we can have peace, we can have redemption, and we can be delivered from sin and its effects and the way it affects our eternity into hell. So I don't know where you're at this morning, your relationship with God, I don't know what your current circumstance is, but just as God exposed all of these little little G gods of Egypt, and he wants us to worship the one true God. So my question to you is, who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping yourself, the circumstance? Who are your eyes on? Who are you thinking about? Who are, it's all about God. And through Jesus, you and I can have that relationship. It's not about us earning. It's not about all these things. Let me kind of dig myself out of it. It's about giving it and surrendering to Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Father, Man, every single one of us, God, are so guilty of trying to handle situations and circumstances by ourselves. Try to take credit when it's good. Try to blame you when it's bad. And Father, we know that you work in the good and the bad. Oftentimes, the bad is because of our own sin and rebellion from you. And so, Father, I pray that in this moment, as the band closes out, that we just use this time as a time to respond to you. And to really, if we're going through a difficult circumstance right now, to ask the question, who are you? What can I learn about you? What can I learn about my faith? Am I trusting you more? And none of us can predict how long that season or that circumstance will last. But Father, at the end of the day, we just wanna draw closer to you. So God, allow us to do that. Allow us to respond to you because you are powerful. You are creator and you are redeemer, the one who delivers us from our sin. And so God, let us lean on that. Let us come to you. And whether that's here up front talking to me or maybe filling out a connect card or just talking afterwards, God, I pray for the person that you're just speaking to right now. They would not leave this place without knowing and surrendering their life to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand. Let's respond and worship together.